You know we love spooky things. This is why we fell in love with Michigan-based Lynn B. Designs. When I popped the pumpkin spice all the things wax melt into my burner, my home was filled with a delicious buttery scent. Plus, there's the wide variety of a gorgeous nail polishes with themes like Hocus Pocus and Pleasant Peninsula. All products are vegan and cruelty-free, and you can find monthly sales on Facebook and Instagram at Lynn B. Designs. Head to lynnbdesigns.store today. Again, that's L-Y-N-B-designs.store. We love them. We love you. It's great nail polish. It's the best I've ever used. Thanks! Michiganders can be a superstitious bunch. We find all sorts of reasons to explain the world around us, sometimes pulling from science, sometimes tradition, and sometimes from our imaginations. What happens when we can't readily explain our experiences, and what happens when a ghost story gets out of hand? Do these legends stem entirely from fantasy, or are people seeing things no one can truly explain? I'm Krista K. Coburn. And I'm Kay Gray. Welcome to Haunted Mitten. Jackson, home to Michigan's first state prison, the first Coney Island restaurant, and possibly the Republican Party, when it was still the abolitionist party of Lincoln. It's a mixed bag. (laughs) Who knew? Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) Not I. Prior to Jackson founder Horace Blackman's arrival in 1829, the region was inhabited by the Meskwaki, right? Yes. Meskwaki? I believe so, yes. Okay. Also known as the Fox, because that's what the French decided to call them after mistaking a clan name for the name of the entire people. Hashtag white people. Other peoples in the area were the Peoria, Potawatomi, and Odawa. So it was a happening place. Jackson was unfortunately named after President Andrew Jackson. As was the fashion at the time. Ironically, Jackson was a pro-slavery Democrat. So remember this fun fact. The anti-slavery Republican Party was birthed in a city named for a staunchly pro-slavery president who was also the first Democratic president. Hashtag history is cool. Hashtag history is fucked up. So weird. Yeah. (laughs) We've definitely explained on the podcast before that at a time not so long ago, the parties switched. But <laughs> yeah, so it, it can get confusing sometimes talking about these things, especially with everything going on right now in the world. So, yeah. Yeah. Remember that at the time we were talking about. <laughs> it, was yeah. a, it was very different. The city did go through a few iterations first. Uh, it was first called Jacksonopolis and then Jacksonburg, although they settled on just Jackson, which personally I think was a smart move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Jacksonopolis <laughs> is pretty hilarious but jackson welcome to jackson up well because we know what jackson became so, <laughs> yeah like, it's eh. not much metropolis it could be a berg i guess but no just jackson just jackson getting into our first haunted location jackson became home to michigan's very first prison all the way back in 1839 we've been there the first permanent building was not constructed until a few years later in 1842 which is still close to 200 years ago. Funny story, though, the first prison break occurred in 1840 when the walls were still wood 
and presumably easier to break out of. One assumes, yeah. Didn't they not have a roof either? Something like that. I can't remember what what he said now, but it was very stark. It was just like walls. It's very simple. Very simple. Like a prison camp, if you will. Yeah. A lot of prisons in the Civil War were also kind of like that. Yeah. Giant fenced in yards. Uh, Ten men overpowered two guards and fled to Spring Arbor. Remember that town for later. There, a farmer attempted to stop them, but the inmates took his shotgun and beat him with it. Not shot him with it. Beat him. Yeah. I guess they didn't want to... uh, tack on that much more time <laughs> after escaping yeah we'll we'll get rearrested for assault but we're not going back for murder right <laughs> <laughs> one man was killed a few days later by another farmer and all but two were eventually reapprehended so good on ya uh i wonder if this did spur the construction of a much harder to escape building however <laughs> <laughs> and harder everything Mm-hmm. According to the preface to A History of Jackson Prison, 1920 to 1975, by Frank Sudia, the prison was known for its harsh treatment. Quote, the silent rule was rigidly enforced, um, and inmates moved about in the traditional lockstep march. The prison regularly used striped uniforms, the ball and chain, and the lash. Most inmates worked at hard labor under a contract system, which was typical of American prisons in the 19th century. End quote. They also had a row for solitary confinement, a brand new concept in their world in which inmates were kept alone in the dark without human contact for long stretches of time. Yay. Yeah, really bad. Much worse than it sounds. Yeah. We can, which we'll get into that a little more later as well. On January 24th, 1889, Mary Latimer, wife of respected druggist Robert Latimer, was killed in her bed, shot in the head, and left cold and bloody. Robert had been dead some months already, and their son, Irving, claimed to be in Detroit for a funeral. Or was he at a rendezvous with a sex worker named Trixie? Or was he sleeping in his office in Jackson because Trixie never met him in Detroit, but in Jackson instead? I'm sure this will come as no surprise. Irving did it. In fact, he was called one of the most incompetent criminals of his day, and his arrest came swiftly. He'd been living way beyond his means, and had gotten a large loan from his loving mother to cover the family drugstore expenses and his own habits. He (laughs) killed his mother the week before the loan came due, then stashed the gun in his desk drawer. And never got rid of the bloody clothing, and couldn't keep a straight alibi. He did manage to check into a hotel in Detroit to try to cover his tracks, but he was never seen at the hotel that night. Oh, and he had taken the train to and from Detroit that January night really more times than any innocent person would have. Irving did it. Totes did it. <laughs> A jury convicted no Latimer. <laughs> yeah, and he was convicted. Like, yeah, like immediately. Ju- yeah, the jury was like, yeah, he, he freaking did it. Uh, jury convicted Latimer on May, in May 1889. An open and shut case. Like we yep. said. However... Irving seemed to have just enough brains to get into trouble, but not enough to know how to get out of it. In March 1893, Irving, who had been put in charge of the prison drugstore, because why not, yep. poisoned his two guards, killing one, and escaped from the prison. So, hey, he's got that going for him. Except that he brought no food, no extra clothing, and had no money. Kid's an idiot. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason they made prisoners stand out, right? And striped clothing. Yeah. yeah. 
He was found wandering around by Jerome, Michigan, cold and starving and still in his prison uniform. He was tossed back in Jackson prison. This man is a is an idiot. He's like, oh, I've thought of half of a plan. That's not a long term thinker. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's a very, uh, yeah, instant gratification kind of guy. Yep. (laughs) Questions arose about the untimely death of his father from a few years before. Although it was too late for Irving to be tried for that and too late to gather evidence, he was labeled in newspapers as a triple murderer, and yet he was pardoned in 1935 by the governor. Thanks, whoever that was. Yeah, what? (laughs) Why would you pardon that guy? I don't know. No idea. I don't know. Like, steal some bread or something? Pardon that guy? (laughs) But Irving didn't have much of a happy ending. So sad. Oh, no. So unsurprising. So unsurprising. Unable to hold down a job, maybe because he was labeled a triple murderer, he was eventually committed to Eloise Asylum, where he died at 80 in 1945. The man lived until 80. I know. (laughs) Because the worse of a person you are, the longer you get to live. I don't know why. He is buried next to his parents in Mount Evergreen Cemetery. And I wonder how they all feel about that. Yeah. Oh, man. So many murderers <laughs> buried next to their victims. Like, I know. Just what? What, what on earth? Why do we do that? Real estate, <laughs> even in cemeteries, comes at a premium. I don't know. <laughs> Put them on the other fucking side. Swap with someone. Swap with another murderer. <laughs> like, that sucks. Oh, man. Yeah, this... The, the history of this prison is just great, and it just keeps going. In 1912, a terrible riot broke out in the dining hall when prisoners started throwing plates against the walls. Yeah. The riot continued for six days and only ended after the governor called in the National Guard. The 90, give or take, inmates who were determined to be the leaders of the riot were beaten, and this eventually put a stop to the fighting. No way. My favorite um, word in this, though, is eventually put a stop to the fighting. Yeah, yeah. They were they were like, oh, one beating? No, not enough. Do it again. Yeah, 90. <laughs> 90. Uh, so those are just a couple of the historical highlights for this building. It's got a long history, like I said. Now on to the mysteries. And we've been there, so it's even cooler. Yeah. We spent a whole day in that building. <laughs> and it was not weird at all. Nope, unfortunately. Well, it was weird being in like... It was weird, but yeah, we we didn't have selling, you know, spooky jewelry. We're like, hey, we're in a prison. Especially after like going on the tour and learning the history. It was like, oh, this is very comfortable. Right. Mm. (laughs) Did you want to talk about any of the things that you learned? Oh, I have that at the end, actually. Okay. All right, good. Some of the unexplained phenomena that visitors have reported include hearing voices, screams, moans, cries for help, as well as music, perhaps from a former prison band. Shadowy figures and apparitions have also been seen. Judy Gale Krasnow told MLive in 2010 the story of Hannibal the Bear, quote, a tall, heavy, hairy man with a bad temper and a growling voice who was incarcerated in 1878 and spent the equivalent of four of his eight years in prison in solitary, end quote. That's he awful. report unpleasant feelings when stepping inside the former solitary cells, which is not uncommon in former prisons, 
Solitary is not meant to be a pleasant experience, and the people confined there probably went through a wide range of emotions to put that as politely as I possibly can. Yeah, very much putting that mildly. Yeah. They went through some shit, y'all. Yeah. Another investigation consisting of ghost hunters from Haunted Travels of Michigan and Highland Ghost Hunters visited the old prison in 2012. M. Live writes, quote, While little was heard in the tunnels, several people said that they smelt the sporadic scent of gardenia and felt the presence of a woman as they crawled through the dank three by four foot east tunnel. Both the east and west tunnels were open to participants, end quote. They are small. I, I didn't go through them, but he did warn us that they are small. Small, yo. Yeah. yeah. The residual sounds of a riot possibly left over from 1912 can sometimes be heard as well. Quote, sounds have also been reported in the mess hall where a smaller riot occurred. A smaller riot. And a couple <laughs> men were injured and killed. End quote. I, I do like smaller riot. Smaller riot. A yeah. mini riot. <laughs> oh, goodness. I can't imagine um, a riot in that place, too. It's not that large. Right. Um, interesting um, tidbit is when, after my mom passed away and I was still living at home, um, I would occasionally smell gardenia, which was her favorite flower. Ah. <laughs> they do smell very nice. Mom, what are you doing in that prison? Oh, no. In, in a past. completely different like, state that you've never gone to. It's fine. Like a hundred years before your birth. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Gene Favors used to be an inmate at Jackson Prison, and his labor there was grave digging. Thanks to the Prison Journalism Project, Favors was able to publish things he heard, saw, and experienced while he buried the unfortunate souls who passed away incarcerated. Quote, on my lunch breaks, I enjoyed walking around Boot Hill, reading headstones with names, dates, and prisoner identification numbers. Sometimes I heard frightening screams for mercy from dead prisoners. End quote. He also wrote, quote, Prison legend has it that the dead prisoner spirits were so haunting in 4-block and 16-block that prison officials had to demolish them. An exorcism was required before they could rebuild 4-block, end quote. This is just a legend as far as we know, but maybe somebody with more knowledge can clear it up. Did you ask about that or no? No. Oh. Well, I went on the tour like right at the end of the day. I know, that's true. And you were the last one. So. We were the largest tour because they were trying to pack us all in there. Oh, yeah. Another candidate for haunting the prison, there are quite a few, <laughs> is John Norris, a warden employed by the prison from 1870 to 75. Norris was known for, quote, ox whipping prisoners long after it was outlawed and tied them to a cross with wet raw leather straps that tightened as they dried, end quote. So Dick. pretty torturous. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, literal torture. That yeah. That's a tactic literal that torture. has been used as literal torture for centuries. Yep. His crimes were discovered, after five years apparently, and <laughs> he was convicted of cruel and unusual punishment and ordered yeah. to leave Jackson. He probably wouldn't have lasted long if he'd been incarcerated in Jackson. Yeah, but you know, it would have been like a fun hour and a half for uh, <laughs> those, those prisoners. They probably would have had another riot. Yeah. Small one. Small. <laughs> Bigger. It's not big enough. <laughs> More riots. When Kay and I visited the old prison during Bride of Frankenfest this past October, I don't know if some of you may have been there, I actually went on the tour that took us down it into the former solitary confinement. 
So they did like a little info thing and then they took us down there. And it was pretty oppressive, as you might imagine. We were told by our wonderful guide, and I do mean that sincerely, I'm not being facetious, that when the prison was active, it was procedure to take every new prisoner, strip them naked, and lock them in solitary for two weeks. Men, women, children, didn't matter. This was our only prison. Yep. They were locked in complete and total darkness, no clothes, no bed, not even a bucket to use as a toilet. Just the floor. And it's completely dark, so you can't see where you went. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Michigan abolished the death penalty, um, the, I believe it was five men. I can't remember. I couldn't find it when I looked online, and my memory is only so-so. Um, they had been on death row. And so the warden said, well, throw them into solitary. And the guards were told, just forget about them. And they mostly did. The men were fed by food actually grown on the prison gr- grounds by other prisoners. It was yeah. fairly self-sufficient, which... You'll learn about that with prisons and asylums and things we talked about on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were not taken out. I think it was a year, maybe two years. It was way, way too fucking long. I believe you said, like, it was at least a year. I don't think it was two. Yeah, it was a, at least a year. Yeah. yeah. Which is just insane. Um, and they, the men had basically gone catatonic. Yeah. They couldn't speak. They couldn't see. May or may not have been able to hear. Um, and some of them died on the stairway as they were being taken upstairs to the cell block. And I believe all of the others died after yeah. being put into their cell block. So they all died. Yeah. Just some died sooner than others. Um, and as prison tour guide Steve Rudolph told Fox 47 News. Quote, we outlawed capital punishment in 1846, but they said that you will live in solitary confinement for the rest of your life. Which, in all reality, took people from having a three-second hanging and turned it into a six- or seven- or eight-month death sentence. You'd go crazy. You're basically subhuman, and then you'd die. End quote. So pretty fucking brutal. Yeah. Um, Another story our group was told, we will also quote from Fox 47. Rudolph said, Quote, We were down here, and I had about 14, 15 people. One of them had a service dog, and this dog you hadn't heard a peep out of. I'm down here telling them about the history of the place, and I hear this dog. The dog is right there, and he's looking over there, and there's nobody over there. But I hear his, but I hear this growls. Everybody backed away from him, and the next thing you know, he was back to normal. End quote. Rudolph first made sure that the person with the dog was okay, and she was. Uh, he then asked, basically, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> and the woman said that the dog had detected a threat to her and reacted accordingly. When the threat disappeared, the dog backed down. So what was this threat? No one knows. Because as far as Rudolph and the rest of the group could see, nothing was there. Right. Nor should anything have been there. Right. It's essentially a hallway is what we were in. Like a somewhat wide hallway, but a hallway. But a hallway. There was not a lot of space. You would have seen something. 100% you would have seen something if it was there. Damn. Fuck prisons, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, this this place was pretty nasty. And like even what was very interesting to me in a, a sad kind of way was that even after abolishing the death penalty, because Michigan was very against the death penalty. Michigan is yeah. extremely against it. It just got worse. It just got worse. <laughs> they somehow made it worse. Right. Because instead of like like the quote says, like instead of a three second hanging. Yeah. Quick death. Quick death. Now you're 
now you're just letting them rot and suffer and be subhuman for the rest of their lives, whether that be two days, two years, or two decades. Like, Yeah, I think he said at four weeks of being in total darkness like that, like completely deprived of everything, um, your mind basically shuts down. Like, you go crazy. You literally go crazy. Um, So they tried not to leave people down there for more than three weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll just, we'll take it right up to that limit. (laughs) Yeah. Can you imagine three weeks of that? That is just... No. It's a, it's literally unthinkable. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I quite literally cannot imagine it. Yeah. I think I would enjoy about an hour of it. Then I'm good. Well, remember, you're also naked. And you don't have anything to use as a toilet. That's fine, it's just, you know. It's just the hour. floor. <laughs> and the, an the cells are also very, very, very small. Uh, they're very, very small, and they were probably freezing yeah yeah it's just like concrete kind of down there stone right it's just concrete or stone slabs around you so that yeah uh it sucks and we still have solitary confinement and it's still not good (laughs) i mean i guess you're not naked now i'm guessing sure i mean i don't know we'll ask um, we'll ask former sheriff joe arpaio yeah (laughs) Anyway, yeah. Kate won't get started on that rant. Um, yeah, prisons are terrible. And that's always been the case and it always will be the case. Yeah, pretty much. We need, we need reform. That was very educational, actually. I, I do recommend yeah. um, going to the ja- old Jackson prison and checking it out because um, it's an experience. Yeah. It's a really good tour. Yeah. And he's a really cool guy. Like, it's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And now, a word from our sponsors. A huge thank you to Chapters Tea and Coffee for sponsoring us this season. Their robust coffee and flavorful teas are keeping us going this busy spooky season. The Raven's Roast Coffee is perfectly roasted, incredibly smooth, and when I handed the first cup to my husband, he took a sip and a look of pure bliss came over him. Krista and her husband made the dream within a dream tea before bed, and they loved the well-balanced flavor and calming warmth of it. There are so many reasons to enjoy this brand. Chapters is local to Southeast Michigan. You can get all of their blends from drinkchapters.com. And they donate 5% of their net profits to Active Minds, the national leader for young adult mental health advocacy and suicide prevention. You'll fall in love with the art, the blends, the bookmarks. Do not wait to get your hands on these blends. Make the cold months warm and comfortable with Chapters Tea and Books. Again, that is drinkchapters.com. Thank you for sponsoring this season of Haunted Mitten. All right. So we're going to step out and away from the prison for, for now. Fresh for air. Uh, get some fresh air. And learn about another popular local Jackson legend, Little Mary. Her full name is Mary McNaughton, and she was born September 5th, 1884. In 1892, when diphtheria and typhoid fever hit Jackson hard, Mary and her mother and sisters relocated to Brighton, Michigan, to escape illness. However, Mary ended up dying of, I always mess this word up, peritonitis. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's peritonitis. All right. An infection possibly caused by a ruptured appendix uh, in Brighton on July 18th at the tender age of seven. 
Her family returned with her body to Jackson and little Mary was laid to rest in what is now Hillcrest Memorial Park. This is where the legend picks up. Right. And I that know was when, fact. Yeah. When we oh, talked God. at um, Frank, Bride of Frankenfest, a number of people were familiar with this story. Mm-hmm. It is said that Mary's mother was plagued with nightmares that her little girl had been buried alive. The grave was opened and scratches were found on the inside lid of the coffin. If you visit Mary's grave, you can still hear her cries and desperate scratching as she tries to escape her awful fate or see her spirit hovering above her grave. Like so many other victims, and I, we will say victims of urban legends, little Mary's grave became a popular teenage hangout and was mercilessly vandalized. And this is an urban legend. Mary's mother may have had nightmares about her daughter's passing because she is a mother who lost a young child. But Mary's grave was never opened. She was not buried alive. That we know of. <laughs> a right. living sibling of Mary's was tracked down in 1974 and they completely denied the story. But that has never stopped a good story and the legend of little Mary still persists. That poor child. Why can't they pick on like an adult at least? <laughs> well, I mean with the Ada Witch they picked on an adult and that was also pretty awful. So I know, it's terrible, but it just seems worse when you're like when, when it's you a targeted child, a seven year old. Yeah. Jesus. So yeah, fun well, fun in quotes, urban legend, but um <laughs> Yeah. Leave leave the grave alone. Please. Please. Our next location is the Roadhouse Grill and Bar. It's which, so tasty, guys. Which we went to. <laughs> and it was delicious. So good. <laughs> Highly recommend. And the staff was super friendly, really cool place. Yeah. Um, everyone who works there is ridiculously attractive. That is true. That was something we both noticed. <laughs> everyone of oh. all genders, ridiculously attractive. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. For, yeah, we headed there after Frankenfest yeah. and uh I'm glad we did. I mean, that place was Me great. I, I'd totally hang out there. That was wonderful. It was a really, yeah, it's a really cool bar. It's, and everybody's really hot. So you could just have a drink and some really tasty food. Yeah. And just, um, you know, people watch. Yeah. And they had gluten-free options too, didn't they? They did. Yeah, that was they great. They actually had gluten-free options. Yeah, they have an I inclusive did. menu. That was nice. I didn't expect that from someplace called Roadhouse. No, like a rural road in Jackson. Yeah, because it's not like the center of town or anything. No. Yeah, but no, no, highly recommend, guys. Check it out. Yeah. And it's potentially haunted. So there's that. Uh, The land on which the roadhouse sits was once a farm. Also, if you know Michigan's history, not surprising at all. Yeah, and it kind (laughs) of still looks like one, so it's fine. Yeah, it's it's a bit rural. Yeah. Uh, according to the Jackson Citizen Patriot, a feast was given by the white owner of the farm, Mr. We say Fifield. I think it's Fifield. Mr. Fifield. In honor of the indigenous people who were being forcefully relocated by the U.S. government in 1839 and 1840. MLive writes, quote, The final Fifield to own the farm was Frank, a township supervisor for six years, county sheriff for four years, and chief deputy warden at Michigan State Prison for 10 years. End quote. The land later became home to the Meadowlark Inn, and it may have served as a speakeasy during Prohibition, because Jackson is right along the way from Detroit to Chicago. Yep. In 1967, it became the Roadhouse. There's a persistent rumor that one or two skeletons are quite literally under the floorboards, 
It is also said that the land across the street was once used as a native burial ground. Also entirely possible. There's also the Fifield Cemetery located about half a mile down the road. So graves all over this place. Just everywhere. Yeah. Just Michigan. Not surprising given the area. (laughs) According to owners Leah and Alexander Denda and several customers, the roadhouse is definitely haunted. Leah says on the restaurant's website, quote, people have heard laughter and talking when no one was in the room. Others have been tickled, pushed, and touched when no one was near them. And the place has bizarre electrical problems, end quote. The player piano from the Meadowlark Inn days has also been known to play by itself, and other phantom music has been heard. Quote, one night a worker who was closing the place heard it playing when no one else was back there, Leah Denda said. After investigating, she said she found an old woman playing it who didn't know she was dead. Needless to say, that worker never wanted to close a place by herself again, Leah said. End quote. A psychic claims to have made contact with a man named Edward, who said he had been killed by mobsters over two women and had not committed suicide, as was apparently reported. I did a little bit of, you know, poking into that, and I didn't really see anything about a suicide, so... No, I didn't either. And I totally, you know, after our presentation and everything, because I'm not, when I'm reading out loud, I'm not really taking in the information. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> regurgitating. It doesn't really get to the brain. Um, Totally. When we were there, totally forgot to ask about a piano. Totally. <laughs> I, oh, I, I don't, I don't remember seeing one. Because they had some things kind of like packed up, pushed to the side. Yeah. Um, and it also looked like, almost like it was a couple, like there was an initial building and then they kind of added onto it and then they added onto it and then they added onto it. It does look, yeah, it looks like yeah. it's multiple buildings in one. Yeah. Oh, but and in was it the bathroom, there was a, oh, oh the, I forget what it is, the anatomical man. Oh, the Vitruvian man. man, yeah. Yeah, the Vitruvian man. And they had put something over the genital area <laughs> because that's not appropriate. We're still in Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> we may have had gluten-free options, but at the end of the day, yeah, you're still in was, Jackson. That was cute. It's like, I'm not scandalized by an illustrated penis. It's fine. From, like, that centuries that, ago. Right. <laughs> that Da Vinci drew. Like, I'm not yeah. really. But I thought that was just a nice little touch. <laughs> Next, we have a pretty famous story that some listeners may remember. In 1961, Jackson was thrust into the national spotlight for reasons you might not expect. Or because you listen to this podcast, you might. That's true, too. Or if you remember, because it was 1961. Right. I think some people in the audience did remember it, too. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, The Lincoln family lived at 820 Maltby Street in the 1960s. And would be forever changed by what they experienced in their own home. MLive has written several articles on the haunting and will be quoting them often. This story is like something out of a movie. Yeah. (laughs) This is absolutely. This would make a great movie. Quote, Victor and Beatrice Lincoln and three of their six children, John 22, Thomas 15, and Georgine 13, were living in the house on October 30th, 1961. The night Victor Lincoln said he knew their house was spooked because the weird things that were happening uh, because the weird things that were happening when they were gone were now happening when they were home end quote for months before this they thought their home was a common target for burglars 
They would come home to find lamps overturned, faucets on, and empty cans and bottles scattered around their living room. The police could never find anything amiss, no evidence that someone had forced their way into the house. So they just thought they were getting burglarized repeatedly. Yeah, just darn kids. I know, know, I'm like, I don't, what do you do? (laughs) This is why you should always lock your doors and windows. And then on October 30th, 1961, the Lincolns would finally witness the real culprit, or at least what the culprit was up to. Quote, Beatrice and John were the only ones up when they heard what sounded like very heavy person walking up the basement steps to the kitchen. There was a loud noise as though someone was beating on a door and Thomas came running from his room shouting that someone was trying to break in. Victor Lincoln got up, grabbed his shotgun and took the family dog, Jackson, with him into the basement. He found nothing, but Jackson came running up the stairs, whining with his hair on end. End quote. I know. Poor dog. And dog's name was Jackson, and he's from Jackson. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's kind of cute. <laughs> I actually kind of like the name Jackson. I don't know. I had yeah. a student once named Jackson. Um, <laughs> Not good. Not good times. He and his parents could be the sole reason that I am no longer a preschool teacher. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. So he kind of took after former President Jackson. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Bit of a hellraiser. Oh, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, yeah, no, I can't name anything Jackson ever. <laughs> Maybe a villain. Maybe a villain in one of your stories. Yes! <laughs> um, anyway, that event with the, the basement incident, that event sparked months of activity from what the Lincolns could only describe as a poltergeist. A can of shaving cream crashed through a window, shattering the glass. Blankets on beds would pull down by themselves. Moans came from the basement, not the fun kind. Heavy footsteps marched through the kitchen. Dishes flew through rooms on their own. One of the family's final straws was a paring knife flying out of a drawer and cutting Beatrice on the leg. That that was it. That would do it for me. You can't make me bleed. (laughs) Uh, Not make me bleed. Their story soon gained national attention and that of a parapsychologist who soon came to check out what the hell was going on with this house. William G. Roll of the Psychical Research Foundation of Durham, North Carolina, a renowned investigator of unexplainable phenomena, and John Freeman came to investigate. I don't know who John Freeman is. Yeah, I like that this guy has this long pedigree and then John. Nothing ever told me who this person was. That's And I've never got to him. <laughs> he didn't I don't have know. a fantastic pedigree. He wasn't from Durham, North Carolina. Shout out Durham. Hey, shout out friends. Uh the the spent three days they spent three days with the Lincolns that December and ultimately blamed the flying utensils and basement moans as the house settling yeah, okay. in the extremely cold winter months. Yep. The Lincoln family had owned the house since it was built in 1837. This had never been reported before 1961. (laughs) Quote, the following spring, the Lincolns got a report from the foundation saying the mysterious goings on could be attributed to rapid settling of the house because of extremely cold weather and the presence of coal mine shafts underneath the house. End quote. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) That's like, (laughs) we know what houses in the cold sound like. We live with it. Every year. I was going to say, like, they've had winter before. (laughs) Yeah. 
and they're well aware this is an old house they've been in the family for well over a hundred years like it said um their oldest son still living with them was 22 so like <laughs> they all know they all know they've yeah. all here. they Fine. all know what this house is like yes oh my god <laughs> i feel like that is what something from the south would say uh yeah well it must be the winter you know you got these winters up here yeah that's real cold cold does weird <laughs> things Hard to winters houses. up here <laughs> it goes yeah, right okay. up there with uh swamp gas it really is Ooh, i'm mad <laughs> i'm mad again <laughs> yeah don't treat us those who experience weird shit like we're idiots we're not idiots oh and like don't try to explain it with something we are very familiar with right Ugh. annoying anyway uh the lincoln's moved out in 1962 no surprise yeah. yeah no i'm super surprised they didn't move out sooner same honestly <laughs> well i and guess they've it's been in their family for over 100 i mean years, yeah though. i guess i'd be super reluctant to leave that too yeah but uh, but if you're getting cut by a ghost, yeah, like, a lot of that would time. be could be too much for me. It's time. Uh, the two families who owned the house after the Lincolns claimed zero ghost activity in their times there, until Lonnie Lonnie Kanutsky died, moved in in 1997. Which is not this is not unusual for reported poltergeists. They are usually like quote-unquote attached to one person or a family and not necessarily the physical location where the activity takes place um it's very common for poltergeist for a poltergeist ding a poltergeisting (laughs) english is great it's a word now (laughs) it's a word now poltergeisting to happen to usually the activity is centered around a pubescent girl yeah. Leave what 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 poltergeist happened to, but it could just be one person, a family, a dog. Who knows? Not usually the place. However, uh, Lonnie experienced things moving, like books coming off top shelves. "Quote: It's the weirdest thing," he said. "You'll be sitting here watching TV, and something will come flying off the top of the display cabinet. Sometimes you don't always know what it was or find what it was." End quote. That would be annoying. I know. That's more annoying than anything else. Yeah. Stop. Especially, like, don't touch my books. Uh, Unfortunately, due to the home being abandoned for a long while and in terrible disrepair, the entire thing was torn down in June 2022. So no visiting the Poltergeist house anymore, sadly. And I think somebody during our presentation said that street changed names as well. I can't remember. And, and there was a new house on that spot, like a brand new one. And there was a brand new house on that spot. Yeah. yeah. Like brand, brand new because yeah. it was torn down in 2022. Yes. So yes, there is a house there. Don't go bug them. <laughs> Please don't. No. Please don't. All right. Next up, we can't seem to get away from restaurants um, in Jackson or otherwise. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> a lot of haunted restaurants around. Mm-hmm. According to WFMK, one of our favorite websites to start our spooky searches, Bella Notte Restaurant began as Oppenheim's Clothing Store, a place strangely enough known for its handmade furniture made by, drumroll please, prisoners at Jackson State. Oh yeah. It's all connected somehow. 
great. It was big business in Jackson. Still is. The prison is still big business in Jackson. Oh, yeah. After the shop closed, the space became a -a save-a-lot. Remember those? Oh, yes. I do. In the 50s. (laughs) And as far as we can tell, didn't become a restaurant until 2001. WFMK says there are several spirits that haunt the building, including, quote, a lady in a lustrous blue silk dress has been spotted walking through the dark of night with a little girl, possibly her young daughter, by her side. The echoed cries of lost-sounding children have been heard as well, end quote. There are also cold spots throughout the building and lights that shine from the ceiling, even where all lights are off and where there are no lights to begin with. So that's a little unusual. Doors have also been seen opening and closing on their own. And there's even a review on TripAdvisor about the ghosts. <laughs> I love it when they're on TripAdvisor. <laughs> so, quote from TripAdvisor. Yes, the place is big time haunted. Ask for a tour of the upstairs. Elevator takes you up. And if you have the slightest sensitivity, you will experience some activity. End quote. Though I wonder how happy the staff really are to take you upstairs if you probably ask. not <laughs> yeah they probably especially after this they probably get that question a lot uh, yeah <laughs> if anyone tries let us know <laughs> <laughs> okay now we're gonna jump back to the 1880s and look at one of jackson's most infamous chapters in history the crouch family murders of spring arbor i did a much deeper dive than this on our patreon so donate Give us money and you can go read it. Yeah, like one dollar. Or I record this one. I'm trying to go back and record all the ones that I wrote so that they're digestible for everybody. Yep. And this is like... Not just readers. What we're going to (laughs) read is pretty intense. And just bear in mind, there's like twice as much on the Patreon. It's... This is the short version. This is is the short version. There's more. Yeah, and it makes my head hurt. Even more. It makes my head hurt. <laughs> yeah. You're in for okay. a wild ride, listeners. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> it was a literal dark and stormy night, November 22nd, 1883, when gunshots rang through the Crouch household. Four people were dead. Jacob Crouch, his daughter Eunice, pregnant at the time, son-in-law Henry White, and visitor Moses Polly, a cattle rancher from Pennsylvania. Three servants in the household remained alive the next morning, only one of whom claimed to have heard gunshots and hid until, quote, all was quiet, end quote. It was he, 16-year-old George Bowles, who ran for help to the neighbors in the wee hours of the next morning. Jacob and his wife Anna had five children, Dayton, Byron, Eunice, Susan, and Judd. Judd. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh Judd. Oh, Judd. <sighs> Anna died while in childbirth with Judd, something Jacob supposedly forever blamed Judd for, this poor child. He was raised by Susan and her husband, Daniel, and thought they were his parents until the age of 10. Fucked up. Number one. Jacob. Yeah, that's kind of. I mean, like, (laughs) the children are spaced out, so a a child being raised by a a married sibling is not that unusual, certainly for the times. But to not even tell him? And, like,. That's Jacob was still weird. alive. Oh yeah, goddamn kid. Like, no, didn't want to. Rude. I mean, his wife was dead, so for Judd. a baby to be taken in by a woman is not that weird either. But... I know, but poor Judd. Yeah, poor you. You will hear this a lot. Poor Judd. You name the kid Judd. 
<laughs> and then you just pass them off. These are pretty typical names for the time, though. Eunice. But everybody Susan. else got, like, way better names. Okay, Dayton's a little odd, but I don't know. Uh, maybe they really liked Ohio. Yeah, maybe they had some kind of ties to Ohio. <laughs> anyway. But uh, Jacob also disliked Susan, so he gave the son <laughs> that he didn't like to the daughter he didn't like. To Here, be children I hate, go away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she had married Daniel without her father Jacob's consent. And while Jacob eventually got used to it, question mark here, uh, he never gave the marriage his blessing. And then he gave them the son he blamed for killing his wife. Yeah. Here, terrible daughter, take this. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> family dynamic. And sorry for all of the repeats of names. Um, we'll try to keep it as clear as possible, but there's a lot of people in this story. There are a ridiculous amount of people in the story. And we cut out some of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Remember, Patreon is, is like twice as long as what we're about to say. <laughs> it was known that Jacob was a tight-fisted individual, gruff, and quote-unquote untrusting of banks and lawyers. But nothing says he had made enemies during his time in Michigan, nor did any of his children. And while he was against Susan's marriage, he was thrilled with Eunice's. Her siblings, however, were very vocally against it. Um, although it's not clear clear why they disapproved. It I think we actually talked about it at Bride of Frankenfest. It's way more clear. Perhaps this played some role in the murders. They did yeah. not religions. Yeah, I think we discovered Daniel was Catholic. Yep. So that may have been why he didn't approve of why Jacob didn't approve of Daniel, but then yep. Why the siblings didn't like Eunice's husband? Yeah, we don't know. I don't know, man. Family drama. I don't know. There's family drama all over the story. Good God. There was apparently a large sum of cash in the house, thanks to Jacob and Mr. Polly, but none of that was touched. However, according to Strange Company, quote, certain family papers, including promissory notes and mortgages, were missing, indicating that this was far from an ordinary robbery, end quote. And with the rumor that Jacob was going to cut the Holcombs and Judd out of his will. But to kill the entire family and the guest and to not take the money. Apparently there was a ton, um, but they took mortgages and deeds. It makes sense in a way if the goal is to ensure the killer received assets from Jacob and they weren't worried about immediate cash. But that that just leads to way more questions. Daniel Holcomb was put on trial, not for the murder of the Crouch family, but they were seeing if they had a case in the first place. <laughs> it's a pre-trial trial. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, and as it turns out, they didn't. And all it managed to show was that the Crouches were not on good terms with the Holcombs. Yeah, all it was, all it did was go, wow, these families really hate each other. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Which this, you know, small country ish town was probably like eating this eating this up eating up oh, all this drama oh my goodness the talk of the the entire region for decades oh yes <laughs> but as the murder started to fade from the public eye the family was dragged right back in with the sudden death of susan holcomb the official report was that she died from heart disease but the rumor started fast claiming she'd either committed suicide or was murdered with rat poison 
James Foy, who worked for the Holcombs at the time and was tossed around as Daniel's accomplice in the original Crouch murders, was so furious with the reporting of Susan's death that he went after the editor of a local paper to chew him out for what was being published. Unfortunately, he got the wrong person and shot him. As you can imagine, that didn't go over well. Not too much. Mostly because he was found dead an hour after the murder. He was shot in the head, much the same way the Crouch family was. So we got the, the original four Crouches in the murder. Susan and James Foy. Yep. So far. Yeah, Mr. Polly was with the original Crouch yep. murders. The detective on the case, Galen Brown, which is a cool name. Yeah, I love That's that such name. such a detective name. Mm-hmm. Detective Galen Brown. How you doing? Was accosted by two highwaymen and shot in the thigh. Three weeks after that incident, a man in town named Lorenzo Bean went insane because of the murders, the local papers reported. He was taken into custody, but subsequently died from being insane? I don't know. Yeah, that was that was a diagnosis back then. Yep. The past was really so weird. He, he went insane because of the murders that happened weeks ago. And then um, died in custody because of it yeah and didn't seem to have any ties yeah no oh yeah Yeah. and he's just a dude in town yeah yeah (laughs) and we're still going with this 10 (laughs) days after bean's death daniel's brother henry blamed a man named joseph allen as the real murderer of the crouch family however there was absolutely no evidence for that so joseph was let off the hook he in turn accused henry of perjury Henry was eventually acquitted. This didn't mean Daniel was free and clear, however. He still went to trial officially for the murders. During the multi-week trial, many, many, many witnesses and townsfolk testified both for and against Daniel Holcomb. Like over 50. Like, I would say the entire town. So, like, initially they're like, oh, we don't have a case. Oh, wait, now we're going to put him on. Yeah, it was nuts. More people died and then, yeah. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, I wonder if he's connected to the rest of these people dying. Yeah, it's it's, it's a fiasco. So in this group of witnesses and townsfolk was Margaret, Mrs. Margaret Murphy. She was murdered by her husband with shears during the course of the trial. So two men who claimed temporary insanity in the aftermath of the Crouch murders, and one possibly because of the murders themselves, that's not weird at all, because Margaret Murphy's husband was like, no, I went insane and did this. And it was totally because of these Crouch murders. Yes. Crouch yeah. murders. She <laughs> testified. At. Yeah, that whole story. Yeah. Just <laughs> see Patreon. Yeah. See Patreon. We will keep harping on this. See Patreon. Pay it for the one month. That's fine. And just read this. Yeah, it's fine. It's literally insane. Uh, Daniel Holcomb was acquitted and Judd was never tried. Judd, the youngest boy that Daniel was raising as his son. Yeah. So the case is still unsolved. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody ever figured it out. Uh, But beyond the entire household being murdered, all the surrounding murders, deaths, and incidents, they're just incredibly fascinating whatever so fascinating whatever was in the water in jackson in the 1880s was crazy so oh yeah it was it was just a strange atmosphere the insanity was catching it was bizarre it's just bizarre 
I consume a lot of Batman related media and I'm just like, is this the Scarecrow's like fear toxin? Like what's happening? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> what happened? It's one of those things that if you read about it in fiction, you'd be like, ah, oh, it would never happen. That's a little too much. You want to tone it down there, buddy. However, one comment on the Strange Company website made me laugh. Quote, Good heavens, I think I would have moved from that town just because I might have been mixed up with the mess without my knowledge. End quote. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was somehow involved, tangentially. Yeah. Everybody. You were either at, like, testifying at the trial or you were a member of one of these two families. Yeah. It's it was not it's not a terribly large city today. It was definitely not a large community back then. <laughs> um and from the sound of it, the entire thing ruined the lives of Daniel and especially poor little Judd. Oh, certainly. <laughs> Daniel managed to move on and marry someone else and live in Wisconsin and um he has his own little side quest over yeah. in Wisconsin. Oh my god. <laughs> That's also really strange. This poor man could not get any peace. Yeah. But poor Judd actually did end up inheriting the Crouch Farm. And yeah, he's the only one left. And it to foreclosure not long after. Probably because he was so young. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. The farm eventually burned to the ground, and it was thought the cause was arson. And I wouldn't blame that arsonist. No. Burn it to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's cursed. Now, burn it to the ground. <laughs> so, obviously, the reason we're telling you this story is because surprise surprise there are ghosts attached to it right yes these poor unfortunate bunch of people could not be allowed to rest in peace no the crouches were buried in two different cemeteries saint john's and reynolds there is said to be a white mist that floats from reynolds where susan jacob and anna are buried to saint john's where henry and eunice are buried the mist pauses over jacob's grave as if to pay respects before it continues its journey. Some people have reported seeing Jacob's and Eunice's full apparitions coming together to meet again after death. 99.2 at WFMK reports that faint crying can be heard in Reynolds Cemetery at night, and other websites claim that full apparitions appear and multiple disembodied voices can also be heard. GhostHighway.com actually has a few EVPs on their website from investigations around Reynolds and St. John cemeteries, so be sure to go and check those out. They're pretty cool. And I'm going to say it one more time. Join the Patreon. You get the whole story. It's pretty great. I'm pretty sure that story is actually still up there for a dollar. I believe so, because so, it was one of our first, actually. Yeah. one of the first things we added. So if you would like to, if I have not re recorded it yet, at the moment, in whatever month this and probably this comes out in december um for a dollar you can read about a story that i spent like a minimum of a week researching because <laughs> it just kept going <laughs> because it never stopped <laughs> it didn't stop it was very much reported on in newspapers at the time like this yes. was hot stuff all over the country yeah and i got some i got some some quotes some insane quotes from how uh newspapers were written back in the day in that patreon and yeah it's good man so. you think reporters are messed up now oh yeah you should read past newspapers yeah <laughs> they love juicy stuff like this yeah but with a dollar a month you get access to our discord server we're currently talking about what we should have named our pets channel 
Um, yeah, you can so see you adorable can pictures of my cats. Jump in on that, and 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 my cat and my dog. Yep. Um, and we have a growing collection of live presentations. We do this a lot. Turns yes. out. Check out hauntedmitten.com, which includes a link to our merch store for all of your like holiday shopping needs. Um, and a list of upcoming events, which is blank right now because thus begins ordinary time for us here at Haunted Mitten. Um, yep. Yeah, we'll, we'll start that up again, uh, what, next spring? April, baby. Yeah. Come to Chicago. Yeah. Come see Jim Butcher and then come see us. Yeah. <laughs> And so sh- and um Chicago and, Steampunk Expo, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. And um Sometimes. Oh, I forgot your friend's name, the oh, author. Yeah, Liana. Liana, Liana. She's gonna be there. <laughs> she wrote the Ah, oh, the Women Ghost Book. Yep. Can't remember the title. It's on our <laughs> it's on our list. Yeah. And she's got another one uh coming out too. Yeah. And and the uh it's like the haunted histories of women like how women connect to the paranormal yeah in history and it's really good i promise um don't pay attention to how we describe it because it's way better than that yeah liana is <laughs> just a beautiful human being she lives in like full-time victorian morning garb she does it's beautiful I know. She's, she's a very smart sassy lady very knowledgeable and i love her very much yes she's wonderful and her partner tom is also a wonderful guy i love you guys both <laughs> and i'm looking forward to seeing you in chicago because they, they live out in new york so we don't we meet yeah. up at different steampunk conventions, basically. Yeah. Yep. Just two different circles. Yep. Sad. Anyway. Yeah. Keep up with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. Blue Sky. Well, sometimes. Yeah. Oh, sometimes. and Tumblr. And Tumblr. <laughs> Look for at, at Haunted Mitten on most of those. And yeah, we have Kay does the Tumblr. Yeah. I do not tumble. <laughs> oh, man. I love the Tumblr. I have one. I just have not logged into it in several years. Oh, it's just so good. It's just so wonderful. And you can find me in the same places, most of the same places. I'm not on Tumblr. I well, I'm not active on Tumblr. Um, I am at Krista K Coburn, and K is at K Gray Writes. And you don't get to know my personal Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> if you're really desperate, you get to find it. <laughs> yes. Good luck finding mine. I don't even remember what my name is. I, don't, I probably posted like maybe two things. Um, if you have a spooky story that you would like to share or just want to reach out, please email us at contacthauntedmitten at gmail.com. And don't forget any books we mentioned. I'm not sure that we did on the, in this episode, um, but it's bookshop.org slash shop slash haunted mitten. And as always, happy haunting. We're back here to talk to you about Lynn B. Designs. Not only do they have the best nail polish to rival even those most expensive nail polishes you see on Instagram, but they have stickers, wax melts, shirts, everything cute and adorable and definitely ready for this fall season. So be sure to check out this vegan, cruelty-free brand. You will love them as much as we do. Check out Lynn B. Design's monthly sales. They are fantastic. I am going to go look at some right now. Thanks.